This is Meta, a podcast about podcasts, and I'm Peter Wells. Joining me today, and this is a very strange sentence for me to say, but joining me today is the former Prime Minister of Australia, Ms. Julia Gillard. Julia Gillard is famous around the world, of course, for her misogyny speech, her misogyny teardown of the Prime Minister or Leader of the Opposition at the time, Tony Abbott. I didn't ask her about that because I believe she's probably been asked about that every single day since she gave that speech. I instead decided to focus on her podcast and and why she loves podcasting and what she's trying to bring to the medium. It was great fun. She has some great guests. If you've never listened, I would recommend you do so. Here's a little snippet of the show now, and then we'll join my conversation with Julia Gillard. It doesn't matter to me which bit of politics you, you come from, whether you come from the left or whether you come from the right. Women's issues have never, ever been at the forefront of any of the political parties' minds. A lot of progress depends on being a bit unreasonable. People keep saying to me, oh, you know, Me Too's gone too far. I'm like, it hasn't even gone far enough. Those top-order predators who are lying on top of the rock, they've slithered under the rock, but they're still absolutely there in publishing and every other industry. So we, you know, this is just the beginning. You know, what it means to be a woman has changed. What it means to be a man has changed much less. And the idea of what a successful man is is still very much predicated on the idea of power, uh, particularly over women. I think any woman who doesn't call herself a feminist has kept her wonder bra and burnt her brains because we still have a long way to go. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Wow, well thank you so much. I mean, when when I first was telling some friends of mine that I was uh, doing this podcast about podcasts, I was I was hoping that I'd m- maybe get one or two famous people um to get <laughs> A former prime minister is is pretty amazing. So thank you, Julia. You're very welcome. You're very welcome. I think it's a great idea, a podcast about podcasts. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let's let's talk about the podcast itself. And before we get to that, why podcasting? Why have you decided uh, podcasting is something that you wanted to do? I decided to do podcasting because I thought it was a really interesting way of getting a message out about women's lives and women's choices. And I was particularly attracted to it because of the intimacy of podcasting. I listen to podcasts myself when I'm walking or doing things, you know, around the house or whatever. And that having a voice in your ear is a very uh, personal kind of medium. So that attracted me to it. And another thing that really attracted me to it is I think when we go to events, when we look at people speak on stages, uh, when we watch videos, TV shows, interview shows, you know, part of your mind is focused on looking, parts on listening. 
but to tell women's stories, I thought it was great that you could largely take appearance out of the question. So, yes, we do advertise the podcasts with a photograph of the guest, but other than that, you're not really um, having the question of what they're wearing or what they look like at the forefront of your mind as you listen. So I was really attracted to that as a vehicle for telling women's stories, getting rid of the appearance issues and just truly listening to what women had to say. I completely understand where you're coming from. Obviously, women are far too often judged on their appearance rather than the the thoughts that they, they're bringing to the room. But by acknowledging that, isn't that almost kind of depressing that you need to kind of factor that in? It is kind of depressing. I know what you mean. Um, I write about this in my recent book, the one I co-authored with a great friend of mine, Ngozi Akonjari-Wheeler, and we talk about women's lives in that book. We've taken the global research about women's leadership and interviewed eight women leaders from around the world to see whether that research has come true in their lives or whether their own experiences are different. But one thing each of them said, and these are women from Africa, from Europe, from our part of the world, from America, one thing they all clearly said was that they felt a differential judgment about their appearance, that the interest in their appearance was far more than anything experienced by a male politician. So unfortunately, that is still at the forefront of people's minds. And I like the fact that podcasting takes it out of the equation. Well, that begs the question, what do you listen to when you're uh, listening to podcasts yourself? What does a former Prime Minister listen to when she's out on a walk? I like the New York Times review of books uh, because sometimes I pick up ideas about things to read from it, but they talk about so many books that it would be impossible in one lifetime to read them all. So I feel like I'm getting a little buffet taste of lots of books I won't have the opportunity to read. Uh, I like uh, podcasts that are just, you know, fun and I learn something from them. I listen to uh, You're Dead to Me, which is a telling of history involving a historian and a comedian, and you kind of learn fun facts from that. I like a number of podcasts that are focused on women. I appeared on as a guest on the podcast Shameless, but I very much like that podcast too. Uh, so all sorts. I actually heard you on The Guilty Feminist, and uh, you are incredibly funny. Have you thought about a career in stand-up because you were you were on fire on that episode. <laughs> uh, thank you for that. Uh, I appeared on stage for The Guilty Feminist and so that then becomes a podcast. So you've got the energy from the live audience and from the wonderful talent that you're surrounded by. But no, a career in stand-up does not beckon. Thank you for the suggestion, but I won't be taking it up. Uh, what, what else about podcasting kind of sets it apart from something like television, do you think? Is there... Uh, a bit more of a, a freeness in in the conversations that you can have is this is are people's guards down a little bit more I think they are because television necessarily comes with so much stuff. You know, I've done a lot of television, as you would imagine, across my life. And, you know, inevitably there's some artificiality about it because, you know, cameras and sound and studios and lighting and makeup and all the rest. And it doesn't mean that people can't find a way to have a really intimate conversation on television. I mean, great interviewers, I think, have that quality of a 
retention and that ability to leave a silence, which means that their guests fill it and often fill it with very deep revelations about themselves. So it can work like that. But I think podcasting works more easily like that because it does really feel as you're doing it like it's just two people having a conversation. You quickly lose a sense of the microphone. If you're in person, you end up just looking at each other. If you're doing it like this virtually, you still end up, you know, looking at each other. You lose the sense that the microphone's there and it just becomes a chat. And so I think in that there's a freshness and an authenticity. You've had so many amazing conversations on the show. Uh, What have been some of the more inspirational for you personally? I've had so many, but a few really stand out for me. Uh, One, Sally McManus, our uh, ACTU leader here in Australia. I was always an admirer of Sally and I continue to be an admirer of Sally. So I expected it to be a good conversation, but it went in directions I hadn't experienced and before in podcasting and rarely experienced in conversations with women, which is that Sally said on more than one occasion, reflecting on things in her life, that she'd done things that she was good at. And that might seem like a really simple thing to say. Of course, she's been good at things. She's good at being a trade union leader. And yet it's so unusual for women to own that, to say I'm good at something rather than I'm lucky or I'm well supported by a team, which are the kinds of things women volunteer. And so we got to have a very deep conversation about whether or not women claim their leadership moments the way that they should. So that really stands out in my mind. One of the conversations I've really enjoyed was the conversation you had with Mary Beard. Mary Beard is just wonderful. Uh, So she is a British historian, a classicist, uh, so she can tell you everything about everything, about Rome and all the rest of it. She's written wonderful books about the Roman Empire, about Pompeii, uh, so I'd recommend them to everyone. Uh, But she's also written and thought very deeply about gender and history and how we don't tell women's stories. And she's made it a feature of her work to try and surface those stories and to retell us the classics, but through women's perspectives. And she's someone who took to being a public historian. So she uh, lectures, obviously, she's at Oxford, uh, but she is a noted public historian in the UK and she does television shows for the BBC. And she when she started doing that, received any number of critiques about appearance, including people basically volunteering that she was too ugly for television. And so we had a great conversation about that as well. This, unfortunately, we keep coming back to this theme of of, of women being judged um, in the most superficial ways, which is so frustrating. One of the more amazing stories was from Sandy Toxvig, I think, uh, a comedian who really explained what it was like getting started in London as a comedian when there weren't really many female comedians around. Sandy Toxvig would be known to uh, audiences because she took over from Stephen Fry as the anchor of QI, the comedy show that's built on unusual facts and trying to get celebrity guests and comedians to guess what the right answer is. 
But she started as a stand-up comic and she talks about being a stand-up comic in the days that it was so unusual to have women do stand-up comedy and, you know, the you know you start in pretty grim, dim venues when you're first on the stage and you work your way up to bigger, more glamorous venues. But she talks about in those venues there being absolutely no bathrooms. If you asked to go to the bathroom, a male comedian would point you in the direction of the sink because that's what they'd always used. Uh, And so she talked about all of that as well as becoming one of the UK's uh, leading lesbians. She came out as a gay woman very early on in her career, uh, well before people were talking about marriage equality when there was a lot of discrimination uh, still very much at the forefront. And she talks about the death threats and things that flowed from that. So an incredibly interesting conversation about comedy, but about so much more. You have a. You seem to have a really great ability of of um, getting some of these these stories out of your guests that they may not share with other people. What, what do you put that down to? I don't really know. I mean, I've always loved to chat, so I think that probably. <laughs> I think that probably helps. I try not to intrude too much. I've always thought that the really great interviewers have a quality of stillness about them. I used to love in the old days Michael Parkinson, uh, who had a you know globally uh, renowned uh, stage show where he would interview people, and he often got very unusual revelations out of people. And I used to watch that and think that one of the things he did was he just was able to sit in the moment and be quiet and not intervene and give his guests enough space. And I always thought uh, watching Enough Rope, a show I very much enjoyed with Andrew Denton, that part of his magic was a quality of stillness too. So I try and bring that to the fore and just let the guest have as much space as they need. Is that hard though when you're doing it over Zoom as we are today? Uh, yes, it can be because you get some but not all of the visual cues, the body language cues that you would get in person where you can more directly, you know, judge when someone's coming to the end of what they want to say. So it's easier to manage than not talking over each other when you're there together. But in this pandemic period, I've actually been amazed at how well you can podcast uh, with the virtual format, how well the technology works and that you can get some sense of uh, being together in the moment, even though you're physically very distant. Do you think on that point then that uh, we might be looking at a more permanent work from home situation for many office workers, for instance, or, I mean, it feels like I feel the same thing that in the in the very first few weeks of uh, isolation and lockdown, the people I spoke with at work were very, very worried and tense about this. And now four Zoom meetings a day just rolls off their back. It's not a big deal at all. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it, how quickly we've adapted. And I do think that we're never going to go back to what work was before. Now, of course, there are many, many occupations where personal attendance is the essence of doing the job. But for those occupations where you can have these technology choices, I do think we will see businesses 
restructure the working week so that their expectations about attendance in the office move from five days a week to a far lesser number, that they will say to people, when you're at task at your computer, you might as well be doing that from home. So coming into the office will be about collaboration spaces and meetings and some things that are best done in person. I think if we get that right, and I'm deliberately putting the word if in that sentence, <laughs> if if we get that right, then it could end up a better working life for everyone and actually a fairer workplace on gender, that some of the barriers about women and working life and putting all of that together will fall away. Some of the ways in which we assess merit now, which has often been about office presenteeism, you know, the enthusiastic Mm. man who's there at seven in the morning and still there at nine at night, he's the go-getter. But the woman, because of family responsibilities who can't do that, isn't seen in the same light. Hopefully we move to measuring work on outcomes and that will be a fairer race for women. That sounds amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Considering some of the places I've worked at. Enough Uh, said. (laughs) Yes, indeed, indeed. No, I will say that, that the workplaces that I've had that have been majority male, because I've worked in IT, which tends to be a lot of men, they always reward that first in the, in the, in the morning and and last to leave kind of person and I've never been that person because I like my family so yeah it's <laughs> <laughs> I, I would love to see uh, see that, that that workplace change. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for, but you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Uh, but how do you choose guests for you, for your show? I work with a team at the Global Institute for Women's Leadership and I also have my office in Adelaide and uh, the women who work in my office uh, come up with amazing ideas. They're big podcast listeners and so they roll ideas off the tip of their tongue. So we basically uh, just throw ideas around about potential women and what we're looking for across a number of podcasts because we imagine that listeners will hopefully listen to all of them or if not all of them, quite a number of them, is to present a variety Uh, people, different women from different walks of life, different countries. And we very much too want to present some women who are household names, you know, your Kate Blanchett's and Hillary Clinton's, everybody's going to know who they are and, and hopefully take the conversation a bit deeper with them. But we also want to use the podcast to present women most listeners would never have heard of, uh, but who have got a really great story to tell. And I think you've you've accomplished that because yeah, the the, the guest lineup is very diverse. And if people out there haven't listened yet, I would absolutely recommend listening. Now, podcasters tend to, or podcasts, I should say, tend to generate really intimate fans at times. Uh, I, you mentioned earlier the the intimacy of just listening in your ear to a, to a voice. 
Has a podcast of one's own generated some uh, super fans out there for you? There are some incredible regular listeners and I'm always delighted to see the feedback. We try uh, and give guests feedback, you know, what listeners have said about the episode that they appeared in. And sometimes we'll share comments that are as simple as, you know, fantastic, I really enjoyed it. But sometimes people will, you know, write in paragraphs about what the podcast may meant to them, what it made them think about, new issues that it brought to the fore. And so I find that really rewarding that um, it's, you know, provoking, even if they're just in people's heads, uh, new conversations and new ideas. And have you heard any feedback from young girls listening to the show? I do get a lot of feedback from young girls, but it tends to be uh, across all of my areas of activity. Some might refer to the podcast, some are particularly taken by the work at the Global Partnership for Education, which is about making sure every child in the world gets a quality education and, of course, the kids most likely to miss out are girls. Some are are taken by the work at the Global Institute for Women's Leadership because happily they're aspiring to be leaders already and they're focusing on leadership and dialogues about women's leadership. So I get that across the board and it energises me to think that there is a generation coming up that is impatient with us, with my generation. They think we've kind of had a go and we've done a bit, but the pace of change is nowhere near fast enough and they're going to be the generation that really drives it home. So you remain optimistic? Oh, I do. Absolutely. Look, this is a world with um, ups and downs. And in this pandemic era, globally, we're certainly experiencing a down. But the direction of travel, I think, is in the right direction. I think it's in the right direction for women's equality. But gee, I'd like to zoom, or maybe zoom's not the right word. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Not the right word in this age. Um, I'd like to uh, canter Uh, much more quickly than we're going. Yeah, I I wonder about that because, I mean, I've listened, like I said, I listened to your show and I've listened to you be a guest on other people's shows and and you always bring this kind of optimism about the the change will come eventually and and I, I find that hard to reconcile with kind of the way the media treated you, for instance, or... Or even if you don't want to get into that, the fact that, you know, I, I thought Elizabeth Warren, for instance, was with head and shoulders the best Democratic candidate. And she was not, never given a chance because people were worried she wasn't electable. And that became a self-fulfilling prophecy. How, how, how long do we have to wait? Uh, I wish I could give you a date. It'll be the 27th of, you know, June. (laughs) Wouldn't that? Okay. And when is the coronavirus ending as well? If you can answer that too. (laughs) Ah, a crystal ball. What I wouldn't give for a crystal ball, but I don't have one. Uh, The World Economic Forum produces startlingly grim statistics like at the current rate of change we'll see equality in the political dimension for women in 95 years' time. So that's not going to make you very joyful, that statistic. But my sense is we can very much accelerate getting there. And what makes me optimistic is if we 
can get to the stage where around the world in countries there's the first woman and then the second woman. One of the things that really came out of the interviews we did for the book, we interviewed Jacinda Ardern, who is a remarkable leader, but she was very clear it is different for her because she's the third woman to lead her country. It was Jenny Shipley, then Helen Clark, then her. And so a whole lot of the silliness that can surround women leaders has fallen away because the country is just more used to there being a woman. Mm. And that, I think, is incredibly heartening. It's telling us that if we can get there through the first and the second, then you don't hit equality. Jacinda is not experiencing complete equality, but it's different. There's a different quality and calibre to her treatment. And so, you know, that should give us an energy for change, I think. We can get there. Yeah, that's that's one of the things I found so uh, remarkable about Elizabeth Warren as well. When when she did concede, she, the first thing she said was so graceful about people aren't ready yet, but I've pushed it a little bit further. And it was just yeah, it was a wonderful way of of, of her acknowledging kind of how much how much is still still to go. Yeah, um, I can't speak at the moment, but you know, you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I do, and I think uh, the fact that uh, Hillary ran, and well, depending on how you count it, I mean, obviously she didn't win in the electoral college system, but she won in terms of the number of people who voted. And she talks about putting cracks in that glass ceiling. Elizabeth Warren and other women who ran for the nomination put more cracks. The fact that Kamala Harris is now there, um, confronting both sexism and racism and hopefully she and Joe Biden are elected in November that will be a different dynamic so I would have liked to have seen Hillary get elected that would have been wonderful but I can still sense that there's movement and progress. And closer to home um, are there politicians that you are mentoring or or people that you're really excited to see where their careers go? Well, I'm very careful about Australian contemporary politics, so I won't name a range of women. Uh, But, you know, one thing that I'm very pleased about in the Labor Party is we are basically 50% men, 50% women now. We adopted an affirmative action rule in the early 1990s. I was part of the uh, group that agitated for that change and it's come into its own And what that means is you can't end up with a a world where women routinely come through for political leadership unless you start with a parliament and a political party that is basically half women. And so I'm pleased Labor's got that right. And I'm certainly urging that the conservative side of politics drop some of its old arguments against affirmative action and start looking at what Labor has achieved in diversity. (laughs) <laughs> well, I, I know you, uh, I, I can completely understand why you would not want to get into um, Australian politics. But I just have to ask, um, you, your old mate uh, just took a gig at uh, Brexit? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, uh, I've seen that in the media, Tony Abbott. Uh, it looks like he's uh, being appointed as a trade uh, envoy in the United Kingdom. <laughs> Any thoughts? Oh, look, um you know, I mean, obviously I took a different view on Brexit than Tony Abbott, but it's not for uh, us in Australia to be dictating uh, British political choices. So, um, you know. What an amazing answer. (laughs) (laughs) 
thank you so much for your time today. This has been incredible. Uh, like I said, I really, really do enjoy the podcast and I'm a big fan. So thank you once again. Thank you very much. My thanks again to Julia Gillard for joining me today. Next week, I'll be speaking with Dr. Hunter Mulcair and Amy Donaldson of the Two Shrinks podcast. It's one of my favourite independent podcasts. Amy and Hunter have just a fantastic chemistry as they discuss psychology, mental health, and some of the struggles we're going through in a COVID world. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Thanks again for listening, and if you dig it, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, or even better, tell a friend. Podcast artwork by Lauren Watson, post-production by James Smith, and a big thanks to the ACAST team up in Sydney for convincing me to make this series. My name is Peter Wells, stay safe, wear a mask, and I'll speak to you next week. So I've got to ask then, what's it like when two psychologists are arguing with each other? Is it a lot of, look, when you did this, I felt like this, and I said that... (laughs) Depends on the topic of the argument. (laughs) Depends how personal the argument is. (laughs) Look, I think the thing is, is we're obviously people as well. And if it hits a nerve, then you're going to react like any other person. And so I think we, every now and then we've had conversations at the podcast where we kind of go, okay, I'm not up to talking about this right now. Can we come back to it? And I think we've gotten a bit better about that. I mean, Amy? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we have. Just facilitating our group session here. That's fine. <laughs>